0: Welcome to the fourth episode of Everstage's GoToMasters Podcast, where we interview the GTM leaders from today's most dynamic companies. Their unique insights, hard-earned lessons, and innovative visions are the stories we bring to you weekly. I'm your host AB, heading business development at Everstage. We are pleased to have Josh with us today. Josh is a CSEND revenue strategist and operations expert, renowned for his remarkable proficiency in constructing and leading cross-functional teams his areas of specialization includes sales strategy and operations and enablement he is currently the vp global head of sales operations at exiger welcome josh we're excited to have you here please give our listeners a quick introduction about yourself
1: yeah well thanks for having me i'm really excited to to have a conversation today and uh talk about RevOps. so um yeah josh banosi i'm located in new york city um and yeah as you said i i've kind of, I think like a lot of people have kind of come into the revenue operations world from a different background and and my career has uh, shaped and morphed over time, started in uh, public policy. Uh, and then I think it was very fortunate to my career, uh, landed at a, you know, kind of went into the tech space and then developed some uh, my operational chops, um, went to a few different high growth startups. And then before kind of ultimately landing in the uh, a more formal revenue operations uh, type of function. So yeah, now I'm leading um, building pretty much building from scratch a new program at Exiger. We are a uh, an enterprise SaaS company in the uh, risk management space, and uh, it's a really wonderful uh, arena to be in. I'm really excited to be there. Started back in January, and uh, already doing a lot with my team.
0: Great, uh, Josh. You've had a, a long career in public affairs before, uh, and now you're in operations. What was the transition like for you personally? Yeah. So
1: yeah, I did start in in Washington D.C. Um, pretty much right out of college, and I, I, there I was lobbying for a few different organizations for the first part of my career. Uh, but but made the first step into business and tech when I was asked by one of my vendors, which is a reg tech startup in the policy data space, to join their their growing team and. From there, I worked, they said, in, in a few different, you know, highly operational roles until I found myself in uh, where I think is my ultimate home in operations. So, for the most part, these are wildly different worlds. Uh, but there are some interesting commonalities that I've found. And, and for one, uh, in terms of like the day to day work, I found my time in lobbying to be extremely helpful in building my skills to uh, uh, bridging the gap among different stakeholders to build a consensus. So, in lobbying, that looks a lot like um working with different members of trade associations to to align on a policy position or you know negotiating legislative language with lawmakers and other interested parties. And in RevOps, it comes in the form of, you know, uh, things such as negotiating changes in commission plans with you, know, you got the you know, sales and finance leaders, or you know, coming to a consensus on on one shared process between multiple different business units. So in both worlds it requires the ability to to take, you know, to work with a lot of different people that have different priorities, different objectives and and bring them together and and make big things happen.
0: That's definitely a unique transition, a vendor inviting you to join their team. And it was an interesting parallel between public affairs and ops for sure. Uh, Okay, uh, as someone who's built a a RevOps team from the scratch, how would you go about it? Uh, uh, How does it, uh, what does it truly take building a great team?
1: Yeah, so I, first of all, I I guess I'd say I'm still in the process of doing it, been there for about six months. Um, And I think, you know, I'm thinking about, and I've talked to a lot of other people in a similar position. um, People either are truly building something from scratch where there's no CRM, there's no processes. Maybe you're at a really early stage startup or like me, you're coming into a more mature org that sort of shifted its strategy. Um, So I didn't, you know, I I did come in with uh, a small team, um, some people that, that had a little more experience uh, at least with Salesforce, but like, you know, Salesforce was in shambles. Um a lot of the tooling was just like, you know, not a, not a lot of it was talking to each other. And so I think, you know, if you're coming into if you're building a RevOps program from scratch, I think some of the most important but maybe the most important thing to do is to establish your guiding principles for for what your program is, what it what it should look like. And if you're coming into an org where you're building it from scratch, there's a good chance that that very few people have ever heard of revenue operations? They don't have a great sense of what it entails, or maybe they have sort of an antiquated view of what you know what the role is. Um, so my guiding principles actually became my elevator pitch that I used to start every you know every conversation, every meet and greet that I had with with business leaders. And um, mine was something along the lines of you know the purpose of revenue operations is to be the driving force behind a high achieving revenue organization um, that's that's predictable and with uh, like well-understood data so that we can continue to improve upon it and direct a highly achieving revenue org that's predictable and, and on and on. It's, it's cyclical that it builds upon itself. So you continue to get better um, as you build upon those things. And like starting any new role, you, uh, at, at any function, any company, you you come in with some assumptions or hypotheses about the state of the organization based on the interviews and the research that you did. So I came into my current one in January highly motivated to make the biggest impact as fast as possible so that we could realize those gains in the second half of the year. I knew it was going to take some time. You know, I, I really focused on on just like a high impact early on uh, so that we could blow out our, our year-end goals. And I grouped them together like we do in most things uh, at RevOps for, with with people, processes, and technology. And, and every decision that I made regarding these three pillars is anchored back on my guiding principles. So we wanted to prioritize actions that will yield a high achieving revenue org that's predictable well understood data. And, and so I asked myself like very quickly, I wanted to evaluate who are the people I have on the team? What do they know? What can they learn? What capacity do they have? What what, do they, what can they do? But also who are my key stakeholders and what are their motivations? What's their willingness to uh, adapt to my proposals? What does it take to get their buy-in? Um, and then when you're building a revenue operations program from scratch, there are likely very few processes, maybe they're inconsistent they they're bad they're confusing, they're unscalable um, and or and all of the above. Um, and so this is an area where I spent a lot of my time clarifying in the first 100 days assessing and trying to resolve and and prioritize them using the the highest leverage activity framework um, that I, I've I always try to um, keep in mind. Uh, it's, it's from the operations legend uh, Andy Grove, who's one of Intel's co-founders. And uh, you might look at the, the processes and, and the problems sitting in front of you and, and prioritize those based on, you know, uh, based on fixing the, the problems most directly, getting in the way of closing revenue. And maybe that's the best strategy if you're, you're coming into a more mature organization. But for me, the highest leverage activity was, you know, what's, what's the easiest thing I can change today that's going to have the biggest and fastest downstream impact? And for us, that was clarifying and streamlining our our lead conversion process, our opportunity stages and our revenue recognition process. Um, And lastly, I know I've been talking a while, but like technology, it it comes a bit later because you need to understand the lay of the land a bit more than for the others and and it has a cost. So I was fortunate enough to come into an organization that had earmarked a pretty healthy budget for go-to-market tools. And like, you know, like many, coming into an org where RevOps is virtually non-existent, the state of our CRM and its usage was not great. And without good, rich data, there's very little little we can do strategically. Um, So the number one objective in our system strategy was to find tools that would make the team more efficient at their job and and automate a lot of the necessary data input.
0: It sounds like you're passionate uh, building teams from the scratch. Is this something you would like to do again and again? (laughs) <laughs>
1: uh ask me ask me again in three years
0: i don't know <laughs> for sure <laughs> great um do you have a checklist uh or your two cents on building a sales commission plan that are uh, scalable uh, and motivating at the same time
1: I, I think a lot of my tips are going to be with scalability in mind because the motivational factor is so specific to one's business uh their teams their goals, et cetera, but scalability factors are are going to be fairly universal i think so for one you know i fundamentally believe in standardization for roles and ideally that that means all role types have the same otc um uh, but regardless of whether that's possible um someone like, i'm sorry everyone within the the same role type must have the same rules and payout scheme and it's not it's not just fair for the reps it's vital for you know, the RevOps team or whatever team is managing commission to be able to to manage the plans at scale, the calculations, all the accurate payouts, um, whether you have you know, 50, 100, 500 or you know, 10,000 reps. Um, and so another consideration on, on the note of scalability is thinking about the implications of your quota scheme uh, with regard to the the actual administration of your commission. So the administration of your commi- of your commission management is where like that's, that's where a lot of the time suck lives. And often in my experience, that's where a lot of the miscalculations can really snowball. So one good example I've seen uh, in a few different environments is the management of like an account management renewal quota. Uh, you know, and I, at least in my experience, like an account management book is likely to, to change over time over the year because things shift around, people leave or, you know, other factors. So you can either constantly recalculate everyone's book of business to calculate their commission on GRR, NRR. um, Or you can have a payout based on the percentage of the renewal book in a way that's dynamic. And in the former scheme, you have to recalculate everyone's base and then you go into commission management software and manually punch in that new number. And um, there's just a lot of room for error. The, the, The latter allows you to let the commission management software do the work for you. So again, with, with administration, the more you have to manually enter, the more risk you have for getting things wrong. And you see this in, in several other scenarios where um, you're having to update figures that other calculations are made against. And so if if you provide quota relief at some point in the year, that's going to throw off a lot of calculations down the line, especially if you have accelerators in place. Um, I think the last tip I, I encourage teams to do, even though it's never the thing that you want to be spending your time on is to document everything and make it widely available. Even though no one but you is likely to read it, uh, this is especially important if there's some sort of ambiguity in the plan that you need to make a judgment call on, you know, time and again. And it's it's interpretation in the formula. So I've seen so many times how important it is to document. Um, it can save it can save your tail, you know, months or years down the line when you have to retrace your steps. If you're recalculating numbers, you have to justify to some poor AE, you know, why there were two percentage points difference from what they were expecting that resulted in them missing out on a big payout when they thought they would, you know, hit their number on a previous
0: deal. Uh, We'll get to the metrics uh, in a bit that you were mentioning a couple of metrics for sure. Uh, But can you define the UX of RevOps and why data interpretation is a key thing? In presenting to the C-suite, yeah. So
1: this is a term I started using with my teams to account for the many ways that stakeholders are going to interpret or, or misinterpret our data, whether it's a, a data field, a dashboard, or, or you know, mission plan. And so, you know, I kind of adopted it. UX, if you're unfamiliar, is user experience, and usually it's you know they use it in uh, in the product you know uh, product creation world. Uh, but what you know, I'm thinking about it in terms of how is somebody looking at what I'm putting in for before them? Whether it's a, uh, a rep, uh, a sales leader, uh, the C-suite, and whether I'm I'm documenting something internally or externally facing, um, I'm I'm writing this documentation, and I'm, I'm spelling things out at, like a lawyer to ensure that there's no ambiguity, uh, that I'm covering every scenario. And and this is true when I'm trying to represent data. Um, I'm looking at every title, subtitle, description. And we have to ask ourselves: like, is there any way that someone might misinterpret this information and draw the wrong conclusions? Um, you want to close those gaps, and so you know. You mentioned the C suite. Um, you know, I personally haven't yet been presenting at board meetings, uh, but I've been I've compiled analysis. I put decks together that they're seeing without my uh, my context or me being able to answer questions. So I want to make sure that. They they look at it. There's only one interpretation. There's no ambiguity. Um, your data should be so clear that that any new executive coming into the business can can pull up your dashboards and easily take away the story that your data is
0: showing. Uh, in your lens, why SaaS needs to consider LTV and CAC for their growth? Yeah,
1: you know, as as the the values and you know the priorities of you know, capital allocator shifted in. Uh, and back, probably back in 2021, um, we saw a lot of shops having to shift their strategies overnight from you know these costly high growth uh, plans to to one with a, a greater eye towards profitability. And so LTV over CAC became one of the key KPIs that at least I saw in the SaaS industry uh, that they adopted as their north star. And um, you know, RevOps can play such a critical role in understanding the the nuance of these calculations and also the inputs that that can shape or even reshape a company's approach to growing profitably.
0: Can you share or shed some light on major trends in sales compensation strategies and planning methodologies?
1: Yeah, uh, there there are two trends where sales management might be maybe about a year behind. And the first was actually the Great Recession. I mean, the, the, I'm sorry, the Great Resignation, um, which was hot back in 2021. And you know, everyone on their dog was getting these super, you know, too hot to pass offers from other companies, and so you know, in the following year, leadership reflected those concerns about top, you know, wanting to make sure they keep top performers by making slightly more generous compensation plans or, or, you know, giving into pressure here and there. Um, But now that we've transitioned yet again, you know, not in a, not a whole lot of time later into yet another different business environment, um, the toothpaste is kind of out of the tube and, and management teams may not be able to walk back some of the changes they've made. And the second trend that I've, I've, experience and seen across the, the board is the rise of these external transparency websites about OTC and how many reps are hitting their quota at companies. And um, this actually, you know, kind of came about at the same time. And when you combine those two factors, it's more important than ever that leaders are putting together commission plans that think about the long-term implications of the design um, that uh, of the commission plans and also, you know, ensuring the attainability of the quota. Um, What's needed today for a sales team is just more flexibility and less standardization. And as uh, you know, I kind of indicated before, that's this is the rough for RevOps leaders because you know those two things are the antithesis of what we need in order to to manage commission at scale. Um, and more than ever before, we need to be thoughtful and mindful about the inner workings of an org that we support. That you know the, their psychology, the the fairness of their territories, and, and the list goes on and on. So for a decision that, that has so many cooks in the kitchen. We, we really need to set aside a tremendous amount of time for analysis and planning to develop the right new compensation models for our teams.
0: Talking about real-life examples, uh, can you give us some real-life examples where RevOps added great value to the organization? We'd love to hear about specific situations where ops made a substantial difference.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to give some more specific examples that uh, don't give you too great of a look at uh, my company's various strategies, but um, you know, there they're really too many to count. Uh, you know, people in in RevOps really know that. And it's sort of the uh, the underlying part that a lot of folks don't see. But you know, I think RevOps, we get the chance to, especially when I'm building a program from scratch from the start, you know, really a huge opportunity to to make a big impact on on adding value to the org and and uh, making a substantial difference. So and really, like this is why it's it's so incredible to me that the profession is so new to the, the business world. When you know you have all these systems and data and processes that have to be aligned across the customer journey um, in order to truly understand your prospects and clients. Um, one one example, more specifically, uh, was when you know a marketing leadership knew we were flying blind without you know with the, the outcomes of our campaigns. And so we for temporarily turned off our paid activities. My team, we, we really needed to like rework the lead conversion process and the data flows so that we could see our conversion rates at every step along the way. And once that data was well-defined and visible uh, throughout the top of the funnel, we could start investing again and in making such, you know, like you know, much, much smarter decisions about how we can generate leads more profitably. Um, so, like, you know, simply the ability to confidently invest uh and 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 even make changes in our marketing strategy was due to the work that my my team did to clean it up so that one was pretty big and then another one that i thought was actually kind of eye-opening was at one point my my team was charged with you know trying to find new initiatives to uh increase our average contract value our acv and one of the more eye-opening analyses that we performed was seeing just how much money was being uncaptured through discounting in the way that our, our reps tended to, you know, the, some of the liberties they had. So, getting that under control w- required modifying our, our deal desk processes, uh, using conversational intelligence to measure, you know, these like unnecessary discounting habits at the rep level, and then even different incentive programs to reta- to, to retrain the sellers to rein in their discounting and and uh, you know, better follow management's guidance.
0: Josh, are there any specific resources or books you would recommend for someone to scale their career in ops?
1: I haven't yet seen any books uh, in this realm. Uh, Honestly, I haven't really sought them out, but probably because there's so many other great resources. Um, You know, RevOps is all about solving problems. I like immersing myself in in learning about the different problems that other groups are facing and, and how they're solving it. So I think from the podcast perspective, you know, especially right before I started this new role, I, I sought out a ton and uh, a bunch of them are now defunct, but there's a lot of great content in there. So I would just encourage people to, you know, go into Spotify or iTunes, whatever your, your um, listening platform is and search RevOps or sales ops or whatever makes sense for you. Um, there's a lot of good content in there. Lots of interviews like this one um, that people talk about specific, uh, you know, use cases or, or problems that they're solving. Um, I've also found a some really good newsletters. Uh, this you know you can actually sign up for these or a lot of times these people uh, are also like cross posting on on LinkedIn or Twitter. um specifically two that I really like are there's a guy named Jeff Ignacio. Uh, he has something called RevOps Impact. Uh, super high value stuff uh, a little probably' I'm a little more oriented towards revOps leadership. They're like higher level concepts and um, but just an incredible newsletter. I don't know how this guy's putting it out. Um, and there's also another, another guy, uh, in, uh, in Europe named, uh, Tony Holbein. Um, he started a company called Growblocks. Uh, he's doing a podcast. He's doing a newsletter, um, trying to support, you know, the growth of his company, uh, just super excellent content. Again, probably a little more ori- oriented at leadership delves a lot more into the high level strategy of, uh, you know, revenue planning, Um, uh, but really fantastic stuff. Uh, and then there are also some communities out there you can join for free. There's the the Ops Co-op. There's the Revenue Operations Alliance. Um, you know, I've I've been fortunate enough. You know, i I happen to be in New York City where there's a higher concentration of people like me, so I've been able to join some of their live events. And there's there's great you know Slack forums you can join and people ask questions and share ideas and stuff like that. So there's a good number of resources out there, um, and a lot of them are free. A lot of you know there's some good paid ones as well. Um, and I encourage people to really seek those out and try to get their employers to. Provide some of those resources for them.
0: Great. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners who aspire to Axel uh, in the field of operations?
1: Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, you know, take initiative, uh, identify problems and their possible solutions, um, and then, and this is really important. I don't think a lot of people are investing enough in this. You know, develop a thoughtful project plan to address, you know, measure, learn, iterate on those on uh, on the problem. Also, I think you know we we work at the intersection. Of so many different disciplines, yeah, we we can't do a whole lot without other consensus or their buy-in. Um, so invest in those relationships, seek their input, align you know your collective priorities where you can, and, and be the person. Sort of kind of going back to your first question, be the person in the room who can bridge the gaps when those decision makers struggle to you know advance the solution. Um, I think we are uniquely positioned to be an arbiter, and uh, I think it's a good way to grow at your company
0: here's one final question where can our audience connect with you and learn more about your work and operations
1: yeah uh honestly i need to do a little more uh content publishing out there but you know i'm on linkedin i'm the only josh budness you can find mm-hmm. so uh pretty easy to find me uh i i just joined uh thread this morning um uh, on twitter uh you can still find you can find me both by searching josh budness uh tbd whether or not uh, i'll really pick up some content there but uh i also may be doing some things in you know, some work in the future to to talk to folks who want to break into the field um, from outside or, or help orgs and individuals better understand their own uh, revenue operations program, how to build that out. So that's something to look for on the horizon.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. It was a quite insightful conversation. All the best.
1: All right. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, talk to you
0: later. Well, that brings us to the end of this insightful episode of Go to Masters. Big thanks to Josh for sharing his experience and valuable insights. I personally enjoy talking with you, Josh. Remember, you can tune in every week to learn more from game changers driving hyper-growth companies across the globe. GoToMasters is brought to you by Everstage, your trusted partner for transforming the way businesses handle sales compensation. I'm your host, Ab, from Everstage, signing off. We'll see you in our next episode. Until then, goodbye for now.